right, back, back, back. All right. Back, back. We're going to come back just to conclude chapter 11. Woo! Uh, but I have one last thing to read off here on page 217. It says, if we consider the process of production from the point of view of the simple labor process, mm-hmm. the laborer stands in relation to the means of production, not in their quantity as capital, but as a mere means and material of his own productive, intelligent activity. In tanning, for example, and they're talking about like tanning hides. Not yes. Like, <laughs> no. Not like going to the, in tanning, <laughs> he deals with the skins of a simple object of labor. It is not the capitalist whose skin he tans, unfortunately, but it is different as soon as we deal with the process of production from the point of view of the process of creation of surplus value. The means of production are at once changed into means for the absorption of labor of others. It is now no longer the laborer that employs the means of production, but the means of production that employ the laborer. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. That is ominous sounding. That that, but it's it's one of those big marks, like you know, kick you signs. This is he talked, and and one thing we really didn't touch on, and it's a big big part of Marx, uh, but it's in all of his other works, is alienation of labor. Okay, because in the beginning chapters, it's a little oversimplified. Talk about alienation of labor, and he says, okay, well, you know, if you make food to eat it, you're cooking for yourself, you're not alienated. But if you make food for other people, you know, it's commodity production, it's alienated. That's a little oversimplified. Um, you're not really alienated if you're taking home that and that's for your subsistence because then you're saying, you know, hey, I did this so that I can, you know, go buy my car or whatever, you yeah. know. Um, but when you're doing it for someone else's profit and you're only seeing a fraction of it, now you're really alienated by it. And that line that he talks about, the laborer no longer employs the means of production, mm-hmm. the means of production employ him. Now he's alienated from his labor. He's doing what the means of production demand. They must be used for this. I have to do this. Rather than, this is my tool to fix this. Okay? Yeah. It's it's not the same as the analogy, you know, you have a hammer, everything's a nail. <laughs> right? It's a little different analogy, but it's not like I have a nail sticking out, I need to hammer it. It's, I have a hammer, I need to go find nails so my hammer's not wasted. Yes. You know? Um, it's it's not, not a good thing to do. Uh, looks like I got chapter 11 and 12 a little mixed up because here's the B-prime stuff. Yeah, I was, I was wondering when we got to be primarily. I was like, all right, we 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 got, but you know what? It goes across. We good. I do get my chapters mixed nah, up. Again. I think of the book as a it's whole. It's all work. the same thing. It's a congealed mass of of words. Theory. Yeah, that's what it is. It's a congealed mass of theory. That's yeah. <laughs> lemon Lemon Jackson, you know, theory and action. It's a congealed mass of the theory. And so we are shifting over again, and when we move over to chapter 12, because we are now in part four. Yeah, so here's the B prime part where he talks about actually uh, getting your labor below the value of the labor power. So yep. underpaying you. Yay! So if he buys, you know, a day's worth of labor power and he pays half a day, he's not only getting the regular surplus value, he's pocketing that other labor power. It's so nice. Now, yeah. there, are, there are other ways of... So underpay it sounds a little. Oh, it sounds like you're justified if you're paid for labor power. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So it, it's it's a little, it's a little yeah. bit because again, it's all pay. What he, is it relative to? What he, is what is your under? Yeah, he. If you have to sell your labor power below its value, yes, you're selling because remember you're the one selling, you know, selling things and. Mm-hmm. and giving him the money. You're going to the market to sell and, your goods and yeah. we've talked about how there's going to be, you know, when you go into the market, there's there's days where you're you know there's more sellers and less buyers, so there, there yeah. are times you are going to be selling your labor for less than it's Yeah, I mean, work. you want to sit here and go, I want to get the value of my labor. That's what you really want to do. I want to get the value of my labor. You're not really going to get that. You're going to get the value of your labor power and you're going to hope to get a little more than that. You know, you're you're in an exchange, yep. you know. Supply and demand all being equal, you're going to get things that your value, but you, you know, and you still want to try to get over your value every exchange you get, yeah. right? That's not a way to consistently make money. That's not a model you can stick to. Yeah. But it's a nice thing in an exchange when you get it. Yeah. And when you're employed consistently, that's real nice. Yeah. You know? Um, so so you want to do that, but the capitalist doesn't want you to do that. They're trying to double you over on that exchange and follow the rules of, yeah. of fair exchange. Okay. Yeah. Um, he also talks about later on the surplus value produced by prolongation of a working day. He calls absolute surplus value. That's, mm-hmm. you know, I paid for a 10-hour working day, but I'm going to squeeze you out for 12 hours. Yep. On the other hand, the surplus value arising from a curtailment of the necessary labor time and from the corresponding alteration in the respective lengths of the two components of the working day, I call relative and surplus value. And that is interesting because that, so so more, so how? How can you, po- how can you get... How can you shrink that line 
Yeah. Between what because, is the lab- necessary labor time. Because you've got to, to, to pay the means of consistence. So mm-hmm. he says, whenever an individual capitalist cheapens shirts, for instance, and this is where he's talking about, and I brought that up earlier, the set it and forget it. They're two-for-ones. Yeah. They're accidental two-for-ones. And they're tried and true. I mean, these are wealthy people. They see something work. They see a two-for-one. They're going to do it again. And you know what? In the world, you're going to see the bourgeoisie perspective more. They have the media to share. They have more power in conversations. So they're going to see each other. So they're going to go, oh, that worked for that guy. You know, all these life hacks you see coming out, quote, unquote, (laughs) they've had that for centuries. Okay, they've had labor exploitation hacks. And they're seeing each other doing it, and they're seizing that power. Oh, God. I would love to see that subreddit. Um, I do not. Yeah, no, that sounds like the worst thing to read in the entire just world. The, just actually the Donald Trump subreddit, actually. It's, it's an entire subreddit of the five $1 bills tip thing, and you just want to punch everyone in the balls. So, um, But he, he says, you know, whenever they cheapen shirts, for instance, by increasing the productiveness of labor, you know, with them a little harder, get those, get those shirts out. He, he by no means necessarily aims at reducing the value of labor power or shortening pro tanto the necessary labor time. He's just trying to make more money, you yep. know. But it is only insofar as he ultimately contributes to the results that he assists in raising the general rate of surplus value. The general and necessary tendencies of capital must be distinguished from their forms of manifestation. Okay, so these are general and necessary tendencies. These are set it, forget it things they do. And we're going to get into a little bit of a cycle here. So he says, it's not our intention to consider here the way which the laws emanating the capital's production manifest themselves in movement of individual masses of capital, where they assert themselves as coercive laws of competition and are brought home to the mind and the conscious individual capitalist. So we're not trying to get into his head, okay, as a direct motive of his observations. But this much is clear. A scientific analysis of competition is not possible before we have a conception of the inner nature of capital. These guys are capital personified. Just the apparent motions of heavenly bodies are not intelligible to any but him who is acquainted with their real motions, motions which are not directly perceptible by the senses. Nevertheless, for better comprehension of the production of relative surplus value, we may add the following remarks in which we assume nothing more than the results we've already obtained. So he's going to dig in here, and he's going to say, hey, and this is where he gets into the the machines. You know, I mean, and we talked about earlier, your machines have an expiration date. Yeah. That constant capital is going to transfer that value. But if you don't use it up, you know, that machine's going to rot away without that value being transferred. It's going to be gone, right? If someone makes an innovation, uh, say they automate something like cash registers yeah. so you don't have a cashier, okay, they're going to have some relative surplus value. They're going to get in ahead. Now, all of a sudden, I'm not paying for these people. I'm, I, you know, not all of their... Their yeah. labor is, is gone. They're going to have labor somewhere. Nothing is going to be fully automated. Okay? And, and I know we seem to be dreaming of it, but nothing's going to be. Someone's going to have to at least make the automation but and maintain it. Yeah. Uh, but he's going to reduce his labor, and he's going to get the same total value. And so he's going to be able to transfer that constant capital into it, and he's going to get this relative surplus value. He's going to sneak it in. Yep. Right? So in 12 hours, instead of saying making 12 shirts, he's going to make 24 shirts. Now, the value isn't suddenly 124th of the guy's day instead of 112th. It's still 112th because we're talking about socially necessary. And you go outside of this one guy that's found this niche for doubling the the shirts being made. Mm -hmm. And it still takes the same amount of labor to make a shirt everywhere else. So now he's making twice as much profit. Woo! Uh, Actually, not even twice as much. He's transferring the same amount of constant capital. And he's completely making all of the profit on the variable capital in those second 12 shirts. Yep. So he's doing real, real good, okay? Uh, but then, and, and he even, Marx even says, it says the real value of a commodity is, however, not its individual value, but its social value, okay? All of society. Remember, we're talking about social value, social necessities. Marx understands that society drives things. He's a materialist, so you'll yeah. see social things. Talk about social constructs in, in some places. Uh, a lot of Marxists do that, you know, where it's like you make up uh, uh, something like race, right? But it has an actual material impact. A material, it's real. Yeah. It's real, but it's not natural. It's something society made. Uh, but you're also going to have social value. You know, society desires these shirts and has decided to divide up the labor where people have to get these shirts as commodities. Yep. And this is the amount of labor needed to get these shirts. If someone can do it with us labor, they're maybe going to sell it a little cheaper over here, you know, and the value is going to go down. 
Um, so Marx is saying, hey, you sell, and he's staying simple. Hey, you take 12 shirts, now you make 24. What's really going to happen also is you make those 24 shirts, now all of a sudden you don't have to get them at full price. You're not going to drop too much. You want to make as much money as possible. But to make sure you sell all 24 of those shirts, maybe you sell them just enough cheaper that it's noticeable. Yep. And now the other shirt's got to go down. Nah. And they've got to find what's making the shirts cheaper. Oh, well, I'm going to look over here. You found cheaper labor by outsourcing through imperialism uh. and destroying Hawaii for bananas. <laughs> Or, you know, go, sending jobs off to Taiwan. Um, or, you know, hey, you... Slaves! Slaves. Or, hey, you uh, went out and you found a machine that, that automates this and laid mm -hmm. off 20 people, and, and now they're living, you know, hand of, uh, hand of mouth. Yep. Whatever it is, you're going to try to replicate that because you've got to keep up. Otherwise, everybody else is going to replicate that. You're going to get left behind. Remember, it doesn't matter good or bad person. None of that matters. This yeah. is not... This is not people cheating the system. The system says you're capital personified. You've got to keep up if you want to eat. Yep. Okay. So he says he will therefore sell them above their individual but under their social value, say 10 pence each. Uh, by this, he, uh, he still squeezes an extra surplus value of one penny out of each. This augmentation of surplus values pocketed by him, whether his commodities belong or not to the class of necessary means of subsistence, mm -hmm. to participate in the general determining of value. Hence, independently of his latter circumstance, there is a motive for each individual capitalist to cheapen his commodities by increasing the productiveness of labor. So, I mean, again, you know, automation is a modern thing. We didn't see computers and go, oh, we can make labor cheaper. Yeah. Genius, you know, that's idealist nonsense. And it's down the road. And again, this is where we start getting into something interesting there where it's, it's capital... Capitalists have this, like, weird series of contradictions that they're fighting. They want to make... They're labor more productive because they need to squeeze what they can squeeze out. And so theoretically, if they find a way to make their, if their product is a necessary product, if their product is one of the, the buckets, there are those buckets. There's that bucket of things and that bucket of things we've, we've discussed is changing. So we're talking about shirts here. Nowadays, iPhones, tablet, whatever, those things fall into, you know, things that Marx could not have conceptualized fall into that bucket. You know, if you're if you have a way to make phones cheaper and you make phones cheaper for everybody and you make your entire workforce more productive, well hey, now even though I made my commodity cheaper, I made my workforce more productive, it's worth it for me. Yay, so you're kind of all fighting, but then if one person does that, he's benefiting all the rest of the capitalists. And they're all like, sweet, thanks dude, you made all our dudes more productive. We don't have to do shit. Great yeah. job. Yep, and so everybody gets in on it because you gotta keep up for that to benefit you. Yeah. If you don't keep up, that's gonna be a loss for you. Not Totally. You're still making money, but comparatively. Now, that being said, if you find a way to reduce the cost of something that doesn't benefit the overall laboring class, so let's say you're Elon Musk and you find a way to make a really super sweet electric car, but you put like a super cool button on there that makes it make fart noises whenever you pass poor people, that's not helping anything in the grand scheme because only your asshole friends can afford that and you're not making your workforce any more productive. Yeah. Um, but that that's an important point. You know, capitalists yep. love to point to, hey... Innovations. Look at these great innovations we've given you. Well, every society has innovations. And it's a matter of the motivation of the innovations. When you have a monarchy and feudalism, it's whatever benefits that, that king, those feudal lords. So you only have one head working on it with class interests. Okay. When you have capitalists, now it's there's a lot more innovation. They they yeah. gotta keep up. They're they're constantly have to eat each other and have to eat your labor up. So they have to keep up in this race, climb this hill, climb this hill, stumble down. There's tons of innovation. But that innovation is always to undercut profits, sell yep. you a new commodity. Make it's not to better society. Yeah. When you have socialism, you know, you're gonna have things incredibly democratic, okay, because you're gonna collapse this class system, you're gonna have the people decide on their governments, they're gonna decide in these big, you know, council meetings, bubble it up, kinda like what happens in Cuba. Okay? And so now you have lots of heads who are in charge of bettering society, or the people will throw them out and stick a new person in there, who have no profits to make, their motivation for innovation is to, to encourage people to better society. So they're going to put things in place that will drive, like, medical innovations. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. socialist countries have always been way ahead on medical innovations. You talk about Cuba with the, the virus to stop, you know, uh, vaccine. Four, or vaccine <laughs> virus, Jesus. The vaccine to, to stop stage four lung cancer. Uh, you have the fact that, that the, uh, um, what's the heart that lets you do open heart surgery with the pump? Uh, what do you call that? The fake heart, the, the 
Um, artificial heart? Artificial heart. Holy cow, we, we stumbled on the word artificial right there. Yeah, I, I'm not... Painter's really... just over here looking like he's up milking a cow otter, and I'm trying to figure out what's happening. Uh, yes, no, artificial hearts. Yes. The artificial heart was, you know, invented in the Soviet Union, yep. and that's what allowed, you know, open-heart surgery. So you're going to see a lot of innovations of capitalism that are like, oh, look at this little everyday commodity that I'm going to be able to stick in my pocket, and now, if I'm homeless, if I want to make sure I have a job and get out of homelessness, even though I can barely afford food can't afford a house... I have to have this super phone that's a computer in my uh-huh. hand. That's the innovation you get in capitalism. In socialism, you get medical innovations. You get innovations that do stacked greenhouses, yep. uh, where you're going to take a lot less space and do a tall greenhouse and uh, grow a lot of plants at once so that, you know, when you're staved off from the rest of the world from, I again, can't think of the word, where they keep you from trading. Isolated. Sanctions. Sanctions. When you're sanctioned shitless and, and you're poor and made to starve by the people that claim to be caring about your poor yeah. and you've got to make food, you're going to go out and make a greenhouse yep. that in your tiny little country is going to make enough food for everyone without that trade. Yep. You know, I mean, that that's how these things work. Um, but capitalists will innovate. But it's always a race. You know, you're going to have this value. And this is what markets into a little bit here. You're going to have this relative surplus value. Relative surplus value goes away. It vanishes. Quickly. Yes. So you have this advantage. Now you're making everything cheaper. Everybody else has got to keep up. So they want to make it cheaper too. Now all of a sudden when everybody's doing this, or at least most people are doing this, the social value of that labor is going to drop. Okay, along with that price. You're going to want it cheaper. People see this all the time. We call this inflation. Yep. Okay, obviously the only socialist country that's ever had inflation is mostly capitalist Venezuela because this uh, horrible opposition is is got monopolies on things and they're withholding diapers and bread even though people have other ev- plenty of other everyday <laughs> needs and groceries. Yeah. You know, uh, but you go to other socialist countries, that, that's not a socialist thing, it's inflation. America inflates shitless, okay, because there's this constant renovation, especially since we've had unbridled Silicon Valley stuff, our inflation has gone through the roof. And you'll have the the free market people talk about like, oh, fiat currency and no gold standard. No, it's <laughs> it's the innovation accelerating and the fact that innovation means inflation in capitalism. Yeah. Um, so you're going to have that and everything's going to drop in value. So you have this relative advantage and then it's gone. Now you can find another relative advantage, but your workers aren't suddenly paid more. They're employed less hours or they're employed the same hours and paid less. So, you know, or they're replaced by cheaper people after they retire. So now the whole working class is worse off. This one capitalist was temporarily better off, and they've made capital that they're going to reuse in that time. Because we're going all the way back. They want to take that M and make it to M prime. And they're just going to keep feeding, and capitalists as a whole are relatively better compared to workers, but not totally better. And they've just got to find the other advantage to, to kneecap the person around them yep. or find a new open market, whatever it is. <laughs> so then he goes, on the other hand, however, the extra surplus... Oh, he, this is in talking about vanishing. I highlighted it for some reason. On the other hand, however, this extra surplus value vanishes so soon as the new method of production becomes general and has consequently caused the difference between the individual value of the cheapened commodity and its social value to vanish. So it's a cycle, it's a cycle. Now you're starting to see how capitalism has all these booms. You know, we talked about the panics in the 19th century, really depression, then we have the Great Depression, and then we have the recessions, you know, the inflation boom in the late 70s, the 2008 recession. It's it's a boomer bust cycle. Dot-com crisis. I mean, this is all because of the boomer bust cycle. Yeah, I mean, you had the Enron bombing out stuff, (laughs) you know. Uh, Then he goes, but if in consequence of the increased productiveness, the value of the necessities of life fall, and the value of a day's labor power, therefore, be reduced from, he says, five shillings to three, the surplus value increases from one shilling to three. Ten hours were necessary for the reproduction of the value of labor power. Now only six required. Four have been set free. I love how he uses free. (laughs) It can be annexed to the domain of surplus value. Hence, there's an imminent in capital and inclination of the constant tendency to heighten the productiveness of labor in order to cheapen the commodities, and by such cheapening, to cheapen labor himself. So what he's talking about a little bit there is, hey, you know, I mean, it's getting more productive. It's this vicious cycle I just talked about. But also, it's making your means of subsistence cheaper. Uh, And that's the big one. You're making that basket we're talking about. If you're a capitalist and you control the, the thing you're producing, is a staple of that basket, something that, that really drives... Again, the consumer price index is usually yeah. set on it. It's pegged to a certain number of things that they determine to be necessary. If you control the production of that and can lower its cost by any means, whatever, lower its cost, 
you lower the necessary amount that you have to pay people. So if you can, again, if everybody, if all of all the people at the top can manage to do that, to deflate, you know, to keep, they want that price to go draw lower. Not because it, not because everyone can have iPhones. It has nothing to do with it. It's because you can pay people less at that point because it costs less to own the things. You see that with, with burgers and fast food, right? The yeah. burgers get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger for the same price. You wonder why we suddenly have a weight problem. Mm. Uh, but the laborers aren't getting any more. They're yep. squeezing more out because they've transferred more cost of capital in and they've gotten more out of the variable capital and then their workers have cheaper living. So all of a sudden, you know, $7 minimum wage compared to the the, the median wage of 30 grand turns into seven dollars minimum wage in 2018 to the median wage of 60 grand for a household and minimum wage ain't shit and that median wage compared to what the capitalists make yeah. is like you know that six, 30 grand to 60 grand was only keeping up with inflation and the minimum wage didn't even do that and the capitalists shot off and skyrocketed 10 times the inflation rate and now they have shit tons of money and there's Jeff Bezos's in the world and Elon Musk's mm-hmm. and, and Bill Gates's and all that yeah um, so he says, shortening the working day is therefore by no means what is aimed at. So this is what I was talking about earlier. If yeah. you can make the working day cheaper, where you can really pay them only six hours for the same amount, you still want to extend that to eight or ten hours and just make more. Yeah. There's no incentive for it. There is zero practical incentive. And this is the thing. In, in this system, in this system, ideally with no one cheating and no one, there is no practical reason that you would be a capitalist that would provide lower working out that would provide lower working hours yeah or or, or better working con- better working conditions is a weird phrase because some people will but what if they if air conditioning made you more efficient sure but uh, I don't think it does because Jeff hasn't air conditioned his buildings yet. They're still pretty well dropping dead from exhaustion and not being able to go pee. Uh, so, oh, it, but in an office it will because then people gotta to concentrate more. It depends on how physical your labor mm-hmm. is. So that's again, it, it is not. There is no market mechanism that makes people not be assholes. <laughs> There's just not. Yeah. And it, whether you're good, bad, or indifferent, it's just you would be dumb not to do this because the problem is if you don't, the next guy will. There is somebody around the corner that will see the little thing that, that desperately needs to feed their family, and if the thing they have to do to compete with you is be one step shittier, they will do that. And and, and that's just how it works. Like, there's no practical check on it. Yeah, I mean, comfort's as temporary as this relative surplus value. So don't punch down. Don't pull the ladder up. Nope. You might have, you know, a cozy office job and, and make enough to, to have a house out in the suburbs and not be like, holy fuck, how am I paying my mortgage every single mm-hmm. month? But, you know, you go two months without a job, you're canned, yes. and that stuff's going to catch up with that you anyway. Absolutely. Every I, time. I just lost my power. Oh, well. I only had one paragraph left, but I was going to highlight it. No. I guess we won't now. Uh... <laughs> Do, do you know what paragraph you needed? It was like the last three paragraphs of the chapter. Uh, how about? All right, we're switching. We're switching gears, people. Okay, there we go. So he says the absolute value of the commodity itself is no interest to the capital. Oh no, that's not what we wanted. Where are we? Here we go. Uh, so he says by no means prevents him from continuing to work twelve hours. So he says if he makes the same amount in six hours, nothing stops him from working. 12 hours. Uh-huh. So from producing those 12 hours, 1,200 articles instead of 120. Indeed, by his working day, he may si- simultaneously be prolonged as to make them produce, say, 1,400 articles in 14 hours. Uh-huh. Therefore, in the treatises of economists of the stamp of McCulloch, Yuri, and Senior, remember Senior's yeah. uh, last hour douchebag, and the like, we may read on one page that the worker owes a debt of gratitude for the capital for developing his productivity because the necessary labor time is shortened. And on the next page that he must prove his gratitude by working in the future for 15 hours instead of 10. And that's that's a big old killer because yeah. that's capitalists love this too. We gave you an opportunity. We made your working conditions better. We made things more efficient. We made your job easier. None of that was for you and none no. of that's going to actually benefit you. You want a direct fun example of this? Anyone out there? And you will know it the second I say it. Work email. Oh. And not only work email at work. So when you work for a company that gives you a company phone. and Oh, look at this. You got to they give you a fancy phone or a computer. This is so nice. This is so I. And now you're connected 24. And now if you were off the clock and just sitting at home and didn't answer your phone that they get, that they were nice enough to give you. It's suddenly your prop. Wait a minute. Why? This isn't better. This isn't more productive. This isn't. This isn't for me. This is no. It's all geared towards a bottom line. And if you can't see what the bottom line is, look harder. 
Yeah. Just, it's, it's, it's very, there is no charity in this system. It's just not, it is not built in. <laughs> Any, anything that looks like charity is either a lie or it was fought for by workers and is being disintegrated and is sl- being wackety wackety and this is where and this is so again we're, we're now that we've run out of power and we've run out of chapter anyway this is kind of a not listeners just a quick editorial note I had some things I wanted to discuss and uh, David while very good at eventually tying back is extremely bad at staying on track if you've listened this far you know that's kind of a trend for us So the part of this podcast about Chapter 12 of Capital Volume 1 has ended. It's over. Uh, What you will hear for the rest of this episode is me asking David uh, what I think is an important question, and both of us going off on wild, wild tangents. Uh, Nothing we discuss is pertinent to Capital Volume 1, and especially not to Chapter 12. So if this is what you're here for, bail. You can get out. It's over. You're, you're done. Uh, that said, what follows is, in our opinion, chock full of really good content related to Marxism. And should you choose to listen, we hope you find this useful. Uh, also, any critical discussion of protests should be taken as advice for people who are new to organizing, like myself, uh, and to a certain extent, David. Uh, none of it is or ever should be meant to criticize existing organizers or organized people where a variety of action is useful to help each other, and we all should focus on the completion of our goals of liberation. I, I had to read that last part I, I, if it sounded weird. Sorry, guys. Uh, thank you. This is the end of this note. It may be cut entirely. It may just be interesting. But as we go through, as we're going, getting farther. Again, this is my first time through this, so there, there are probably things that will come up that I will, I will think and go, huh, what the fuck? And it, this is one of those times where it, it kind of sounds contradictory in my head, and it may just be dumb. It kind of feels like the system as it's designed... If it was allowed to go in its pure, unadulterated, fun way that Marx is describing, because again, the only reason the system does not function like this, does not function at this like insanity level, is because of a, a host, a massive amount of hard-fought-for compromises that that did no one wanted to give up, and 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 and, and regulation to to try and offset some of the more nasty parts of this mm-hmm. it kind of feels like all of the effort of organized labor and all of this stuff and all of these movements to try and regulate this industry have been just putting this unsustainable system on life support they're just keeping it alive through all of our labor all of our labor movements and everything that we do we're, we're just keeping it barely sustainable enough that we don't rise up and kill them all we're gonna read Lenin at some point. <laughs> Damn it. Yes, 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 yes. Your brain is working. Uh, it All right. It doesn't. It, it, All right. Put a plate on your head because it's on straight. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> it just, it, you're reading this and you go, wait a minute. If you let it fail, if you just let him, if you gave in to what this whole libertarian wet dream was and let it go for like a month. Everyone would very quickly, I feel like, realize, wait a minute, this is awful. Yeah. This now, is insanity. Then and, and and I'll give you a little bit of a clue into the rebuttal for that that, that Lenin kind of gives. He says, you know, I mean you do have to realize that labor movements are are the people, right? Yes. And if you're not the people, you're not socialist. Okay? That's that's yes. why socialists believe in self determination. You know, hey, you might not think Nicaragua is socialist enough, but they've decolonized themselves. You know, that's that's self determination. They'll figure it out. Yeah. Right. I mean, you can't sit here like, oh, I'm so orthodox Marxist or whatever. Anyone who does that is, is counterproductive to socialism. Socialism's people. Uh, that doesn't change the fact that even labor unions can be reactionary. Um, yeah. You see this in America with the labor unions that have pushed out immigration, things like that. And Lenin will talk about, like, what's the use of a reactionary labor union after you've made the revolution? And he says, well, no, I mean, we need a voice for the people. The people will, in, in examples of wildcat strike, where they just strike without the, the leader saying go. You know, I mean, the, the, the mm-hmm. people in mass will will move, okay? Yeah. Um, but the rebuttal for not letting that stuff go is you got you can't have a revolution if you're dead. That is accurate. Yeah. <laughs> that is that is actually fairly accurate. That is a fairly accurate statement. Additionally, every one of these fights you fight, 
The more activism you do, the mm-hmm. more you're going on these strikes and you see nothing coming of it. The more you see Occupy Wall Street fail and, and do, do little to nothing. Oh, the more you're so standing close. out in protest, getting tear gassed and maybe arrested for a year because somebody broke a Starbucks window two blocks from you. You know, uh, the, the more you're seeing these things, the more it's going to sharpen your revolutionary tool. You're going to understand the need for organization. You're going to understand the need for tying this to theory. And you're going to be more and more motivated to do this. So you're going to be experienced. You're going to know how to overcome the fact that you're outgunned. Every revolution is outgunned. People talk about, oh, we're the weapons capital. Well, we are. They have nuclear bombs. No one will ever do a revolution. It's like, Nepal did a re- socialist revolution in the last 10 years. <laughs> Freaking Nepal. Okay. Cuba, Cuba, no one thought it was the July, what is it, July 17th? Or it was something like, or 4th July. I, I forget. It was some some name for that revolution. It wasn't actually the main Marxist-Leninist revolution, but he was buddied up with his, his brother, Raul Castro, and and Che, and they all kind of did it. You know, they, they were badly outgunned by the United States Army, and they overcame Batista. <laughs> the, the Palestinians you know? are literally flying kites at the Israelis who are shooting them with sniper rifles. Yes. Right, yeah. right. You're going to be outgunned. Because the more, the more you're surviving and the more you see the struggle, the harder you want to fight, uh-huh. and the smarter you are about it. You know, you can't just go out rallying things up. You saw this... Um, Controversy with the ICE protests, right? Yeah. The ICE protests are great. It's a great yeah. thing to do. But when you have your comrades that are like, hey, you know, I'm I'm undocumented. You can't come. It's good. It's good to not be afraid of the police. It's good to take them head to head. It's good to, to, to not do the Pepsi commercial, hand them a flower bullshit. Oh, yeah. But you can't go there and start riling stuff up and damaging property, even if property is invaluable. Yes. Normally, no, that's no. fine protest. Yep. You can't do that in this ICE movement because they're going to arrest me and deport me. Yes. You know, wait till the next protest thing to break some windows. Don't do it here. Just show up and show our solidarity. Maybe chain each other together. Well, and because be, you see be the it. bodies in the way. You they, don't have to. All you have to do is show, there. You have to know. And again, it's productive. I think we had a we had an example of this the other day. Is there is a there is violence feels good. Yeah. And I think that's something that the left and again I think this is the big appeal of again, for bet I, I, I don't think I'm I have not listened to enough to, to be able to really, really make a designation, but I think that's a big appeal of this the the Chapo Trap House style kind of yeah. uprising. The, 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 I can understand the appeal of that in the sense that it is it kind of feels like and again, the citations needed does really good examples of this where it feels like we, the left constantly gets lectured that we are supposed to be playing by a different set of rules. And that set of rules involves being very nice and very polite and very civil to everybody. Yeah. And it's there's a certain point where you just don't want to be civil anymore. So I get you want to break windows, but there, there has to be... It has to be organized. It has, it to, be has to be productive. You yeah. have to. There has to be some... At, at the end of the day, there, there is a calculus to this of, is this going to advance the thing I want to do or... Is it not going to? And there's a certain point where, yes, I'm going to have to, I'm going to, there has to be some violence to assert the thing I want to do. Absolutely. There has to. quote unquote authoritarianism to put these, when the revolution is in place, to put it out there. There there has to be that. There has to be some level of that. But that can't be your end goal. That has to be a tool. Exactly. And And it it can't be completely misguided. It can't be, again, example, example that came up the other day that put this in stark contrast that got me into an argument with my wife. (laughs) Um, uh, uh, The... Nameless boss, <laughs> nameless middle manager at a nameless company that we namelessly have been associated with in the past. Um, one of their bosses got put on life support because an ex two rung down employee beat the literal life out of them almost. Yeah. Um, that resulted in a fun conference call where the managers one tier below that we're told to be nicer to your employees because one of your coworkers just got put on life support. And anyone that's been inside that organization would probably have the same gut reaction I did at a certain level, which was, <laughs> I definitely deserve that. Yeah. I, I don't know him from Adam. I can, I could line up every single person I ever knew in that role. And there are two of them that I wouldn't do that to in a moment if I had the option. So I get that. And that feels good but at the end of the day, is that going to get you what you want? Is that going to get you any closer to what you're trying to achieve? And that's a really hard thing to temper Look, right now. And that's that's the difference. 
between the the idea in your head. We talked about, you know, you have the idea in your head of what a conspiracy theory is and you think of mm-hmm. Alex Jones, but that's just a hammer word, right? Yeah. The other hammer word is terrorist, right? Yep. Well, that's the difference between the idea in your head type terrorist and a revolutionary. Yep. Right. Um, and, and it doesn't come down to don't be violent. I mean, that is lecturing bullshit that are just, people are just trying to declaw everything you do. They're trying to make it toothless, submit to the system and do what we want. Well, of course they want that. They're in power. They want to remain in power. They're comfortable. But you can't just take wax at a system that aren't going to knock anything over or all you're going to do is get them more conscious that, that there's weapons there and more defensive, okay? You need to, it, it's not a matter of is it violent or is it not violent, uh, revolutions are only about the amount of violence that's necessary. And I like to use the word force because violence you, is, my, is used probably incorrectly. Like starving someone so that another guy can make $2 billion mm-hmm. is violence to me. Yes. And punching a president across the face is force <laughs> to me. You know, I mean, those are two different and things. And again, you want to talk about the force. difference between force and violence. It is force if enough people, if you get enough people camped outside of an ICE office in Portland, that they have to shut that office down. Yeah, no good. one got hurt. No one was no one was physically assaulted there. But that was force. That was taking a group of people and making someone do something because of your mere presence. A really good form of force too is um, we we talk, and I don't like the word privilege because it's, it's kind of this liberal idea, like <sighs> yeah. you're oppressed less, so yeah. you got to recognize that your ass is powdered. It's like. Yeah. Well, no, I'm just depressed less. I need to be more aware of your oppression and take it personally. Yeah. And if I'm not taking it genuinely personally, I'm not a comrade. Yeah. You know, period, right? I mean, when, when, when black people say, hey, we're getting pulled over by police and shot more, you know, it's not that white people don't get shot. It's that you don't go, well, white people get shot too. You go, oh, fuck, we got to protect these black yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, Take that personally. That's that's your brother and your sister, your comrade. It's happening to I do. Um, but, you know, I, so I don't like the idea of privilege, but... but you can kind of use what's what where that word came from to your advantage, and a big thing is is white bodies on the line. Yeah. This is a really good thing. Yep. Uh, you saw that in Ferguson that that prevented a lot of arrests. Is you know the tear gas was coming. You saw the buildings burning down for riot stuff. But you look at the photographs that had the close-ups when the police were first coming in. They were first coming with the tear gas, all the tanks lined up, and you saw sidewalks and black protesters that had been out there all day chanting and raving. They were tired. They were sitting down on the sidewalks. They were holding the signs, and their white comrades were standing in front of them. Arm in arm, not letting the police through. Yep. Um, when you see these ICE protests, you know, don't go in and, like, smash the ICE office and graffiti the shit out no. of it. That's for another day. Yes. Okay? But And, and certainly don't, don't like, shame, say, an undocumented person for not being part of this chain because they're going to get dear, deported. Dear Lord, no, yes. God, no. But realize, <laughs> realize that you have an opportunity here that somebody else doesn't. Take right. that. <laughs> right. You're, you're one of the white citizen guys. You get one of these, like, tube chains and you stand yeah. out in front of the ICE building till it's shut down. That's they, great. They can't do stuff to us. Yeah. We're white. Use that. It's and a superpower. Why are we not using it for good, goddammit? <laughs> so there was a lot of debate around those ICE protests, and, 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 and they're a good example. You know, Occupy was kind of disorganized, but you even see that, right? Like, those protests didn't shut down ICE, and even a lot of the abolish ICE that's now being taken more seriously by the Democrats, <laughs> the, the constant pretend working class oh, bourgeoisie class. God. They just want to abolish ICE and replace it with something else. Yeah, that, and that's they want you... to leave DHS in place. They might just reassign DHS. It's like the the Missouri play the lottery for the schools. Yes, <laughs> it's not really for the schools. Let's, They're just reallocating if, money. If if Chuck yeah. Schumer and all of these people, if, if if they tell you we're going to abolish ICE, they're not. We're going to rename ICE. We're gonna we're gonna close that organization. We're gonna open up a new shell company, and we're gonna put all those guys over there. It's gonna be the same thing, and you're seeing it. And people fall. People fall for one time removed. You see the, like, Atlantic Council. That's every ex-CIA gen- and general piece of shit. Yep. And, oh, yeah, like a, a couple, you know, Arab, uh, the, like Saudi Arabia type types. And they're they're allocating the truth on Facebook. It's They're just making sure it's, it's government-fed, you know, propaganda. Uh, you see Boeing just has these commercials on CNN and MSNBC and Fox <sighs> News. I'm going to be watching and going, oh. I should buy a 747. I must say. That's right. Who is this marketing toward? Who are you advertising for? The reason is so they can pay for those commercials and, and make sure that the news isn't upsetting sponsors and wants all the war and, and make sure the enemies are bad. And the newscasters aren't sitting there going, you know what? I should make a bunch of propaganda so we can destroy North, North Korea. They're no. going to go, They're gonna go. oh, I heard from these other rich people that North Korea is bad, and I don't want to piss off our sponsors and say they're good. Mm. So when someone says they're bad, that's the story I'm going with. You know, you see that local news, it's propaganda, oh, right? God, yeah. Cops are my source. So yeah. cop, I'm always giving heedance to them. And, oh, look, they're, they're selling puppies to the people they're going to shoot in five years. How sweet. 
you know, I mean, and you're going to see that. So people have a problem with one time removed. Yep. Big time. So all they do is they would they would one time remove dice. They just rename it. And a, I'm telling you exactly what it's going to be is the other thing that came in with that, that big DHS stuff was Customs and Border Patrol, which already replaced... Uh, I think it was IHS or whatever Clinton made. But it's Customs and Border Patrol along the border, and they're brutal. I mean, they'll go out to the desert yep. and slash water bottles so people go out in the desert and die of thirst. Yep. They made it illegal to leave water for someone. They catch you leaving water so someone doesn't die of thirst in the desert. You go to jail because activist groups were doing that. They didn't come up with that. I mean, these guys aren't geniuses playing 12-dimensional chess. Again, they see something, and they react, and if it works, they keep fucking doing it. That's why you see the same stuff over and over. That's why you see the green cross helmets in Venezuela because the white helmets work for them in Syria. They just do the same shit because it works. Yeah. And, or they do the shit reacting to what you do. Why you can't go out as an individual for action that doesn't help the organize because they're just going to learn and it's going to make it harder to organize around it. Um, so I, I guarantee you, if they abolish ICE, they're going to rename it and it's probably just going to be an expansion of the CPD. Yep. And that's and that's what's happening. And that's where it's... that's the CPD. I think, my biggest, and I think that that is my biggest gripe right now with where we're seeing this direction going, is I feel like all the energy from, and not, again, from there, there is great, great work, and I, I'm, I'm hopeful at least that we have turned some sort of corner where, where a simple election cycle isn't going to turn this off. But you're seeing my big, I know, but my I hope, but I really, I mean, look at Bush and Obama. I know. And that's, and that's, that's my fear as I, cause I, cause again, there, there was this, and I wasn't, I wasn't old enough to, to see it, but this energy existed during the Bush years because they, they realized that this was horrible. The war and again, Iraq was a big thing. Exactly. And again, now that is being normal. Again, that is now the good old days and that's fucking terrifying. Uh, sent mercenaries after black flood victims, yeah, or hurricane victims. Yeah, we have we have minor issues to <laughs> play with. Mercenaries here. after them, but we but we, there's this the, the whole Russia. Other than the wild double standard of oh my god, how dare they do the thing that we've been doing since 1947? Mm-hmm. And the wild, yeah, the 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 sweet at a good time that Leninism, Marxist Leninism, is picking back up again. Be really cool if we can make Russia super evil again, guys. Let's go for that. That's their two for one. They were yeah. already going after Russia because of Ukraine. They they put yep. Nazis in power in Ukraine, yep. and Russia was the creeping power, so they were fighting over it. You remember, everybody kind of forgets the plane that Ukraine shot down <laughs> from Russia. Plane. You know, woo, mm-hmm. that story went away. That was a big deal for a year. You know, um, I mean, th- these Ukrainian Nazis were put into power. Of course, there being more and more Nazis in Russia. Yeah. I like that. That's on their border. Uh-huh. I mean, even They the have liberals, a minor issue with Nazis on the border in Russia. Yeah, I mean, even the liberals like Putin are like, oh, shit. You know, so, yeah, I mean, his main competition is the Communist Party, but he doesn't want America bullying him. You know, he, nope. that was his one difference from Yeltsin. Yep. Yeltsin handpicked him, and Putin was like, oh, yeah, that's not good strategically. This is how the communists don't eat me. Let's let's fight America on foreign policy. Yep. Right? And he, he's... Brilliant. I mean, that's smart. He's doing our game better. We're just, he's been doing our game better than us. And it's just pissing everybody. Wait a minute, that's ours. How dare you? He's he's holding up the communist. It's the capitalism of foreign policy. policy He's getting more, he's getting more surplus value out of his bullshit foreign policy than we are. And it's pissing us off. Yeah. I mean, he's smart enough. He's not there like, I want Syrian liberation. He's like, I don't want fucking ISIS on my doorstep crossing the Black Sea. That's why he's in Syria. I mean, the dude supports friggin' Israel. He's not some brilliant, but. He's acting in his own interest, and he's doing a good job of it, and he has the nukes to do it. Yeah, that helps. But, uh, but, but that's where you fear this uh, other than all... You take all of that bullshit out, and it, there seems to be this this theory that... And my, that's my fear, is that if Hillary Clinton had won, and all of this, if Hillary had won, we'd be drinking mimosas right now bullshit ugh. was happening. The... The, the theory that this movement that this is gonna just die up oh but we took care of Trump and he was the weirdo abnormality and it wasn't that there are these deeply systemic decades long yeah. issues well I'll tell you two things one the issues well three things one the issues are gonna progress yep two it will probably cycle back and forth if if Trump loses you know there'll be another charming Obama that'll stave that stuff off assuming you know you know revolution comes in that time but it takes a long time long for that stuff to happen. Although it's been brewing for for decades here, yeah, but it's working on it. It was, you know, I mean, Cointel Pro was frighteningly effective. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, I mean, even with that, if, if 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 the cycle continues on undisrupted by socialist movement, you know, the, they'll forget again with the next Democratic president. It's exactly happened. Our shit. God, a gay torturer Mike Pence, and that'll be the actual fascist yeah. evangelicals coming in. They, yeah. they, they are the the modern Nazis. They, they, they're the guys that are going to do the 
Eastern Orthodox Romanov Empire pogroms on every damn buddy. Um, and even, but even in this, even in the people that are supposed to be behind, I mean, you see it with uh, with or, what is Ortez? What is her last name? The, the Ocasio Cortez. That one, which on its face, when it happened, felt even yeah. to me. Someone, I felt like that was holy shit. Okay, we may be holy fuck. This is getting traction. Like shit. Yes, actual. Per- oh, I can't think of the the Black Panther in Chicago that was Fred Hampton. No, no. Oh, okay, no. I'm sorry. Black Panther in Chicago. My fault. The other Black Panther that founded Black Panthers in Illinois with Fred Hampton, and then oh, he became shit. a Democratic representative in the House of Illinois, and now he's this. Neoliberal shill that was a big part of Obama going up. Oh God, no! Oh fuck! What's his name? God damn! What's his name? No, nope, I'm gonna fail. I'm I'm bad at this. I got nothing. Louis Farrakhan? No, 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 no. no, no. I don't know. I'm na- I'm naming. I'm Nowhere just, near that. I, I'm just throwing stuff out at this point. Uh, uh, damn it. Uh, fuck. We're googling. We promise. This will all be edited down. None of this will maybe probably even make it. I don't know at this point. I'm just but, yelling. You know, I mean, you know, another example I was going to say is John Lewis. Um, yeah. Bobby Rush. Bobby Rush. Bobby Rush. You know, I mean, the, the the party will change you before you change the party. Yeah. The system will change you before you reform the system. You have to disassemble the system and reassemble a just one in its place. And so there are not, this is not a, this is not a, uh, a justification for some of the things that happened after the revolution uh, in 1930s, 20s, and 30s. Uh, but again... Oh, I'm good with killing the Romanovs. I, I, no, I'm not talking about killing the Romanovs. <laughs> I'm talking about the purge of actual, like, part... When you talk, when you when you look in context... Oh, yeah, but that was the white army coming in, and, and because they, they sided with them, because they they had to do a peace deal with Germany, or they'd been fucked. There's a lot. They, we killed a lot of people. We killed a lot of people that probably didn't need to get killed. But again, you just got to, again, that is the big thing I'm I'm worried about is your, your, this is why I think this is important. This I think ties back to, this is why I wanted to do this so just because I feel like if you don't have some sort of grounding at this point, that's not, there there has to be something. And that's why this is not the last, this is one, this is a, this is the, the Mac daddy probably of, of starting this, but there are a lot of different ideas on how this problem gets solved. And I think understanding them and being able to talk to the root causes here is the only way this gets any better. Because it, it, as long as it's just MSN... If MSNBC is our bastion of leftist thought, we're fucked. Until that stops... <laughs> it's, I'm sorry. If that's yeah. our bastion of leftist thought, we're fucked. And that yeah. can't be the window. The win- we're, Again, we talk about it. Communists in the middle and everyone else goes left or right. There, there can't be if you if you genuinely believe that the Democrats as they exist, or if you believe that Bernie Sanders is radically left. Jesus Christ. Exactly. But that's the thing. That's a that's a thought. That's a problem right that's now. A common thought too. It's a very common thought, and that's 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 how do you? Sh- the only way you shift that is by. Exp- exposing it deeper and right now the, the cycle we're in is we're gonna Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders are gonna co-sponsor a bill removing ICE temporarily for the next 90 days and then everyone will shut up and then we will move on to something else yeah. and kind of keep this fire burning thing and that's where I don't well that's why we're materialists and not essentialists yes okay um, material conditions drive ideas yep. but ideas coincide and drive material conditions when we see that happening, we can't shut up. Exactly. We have to keep shouting. And there's a certain amount. I mean, like, even when you we were talking about the, the Russian Revolution, you know, there was a February Revolution. Yeah. And Lenin knew, like, well, these people are drunk on celebration. You're just going to alienate people if you say something now. Yeah. Just wait a few months. We'll take the power back. Yeah. You know, and I, I mean, I'm sure the October Revolution happened faster than he expected from what I, everything I've read. Yeah. Um, it didn't. They, they, were, they didn't think that was going to happen. They, they, <laughs> they had their second revolution. And, and, yeah. and Lenin, even if it was a lot faster than he expected... Saw that coming, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, he he really did. Um, so you're gonna have to balance that. You're gonna have to balance like right now. You see the reaction you get from people that are still defending Obama, like, well, he didn't have his Congress on his side oh for six of those God. eight years, and Mitch McConnell and burr, burr, burr. it's like, the fuck do you think happened the first two years? Yeah. Why didn't he have that con- yeah. Congress on his side? Does that change any of his actions in the last six years? Come on now. And how do we? You know, people people are again. People are and and smart. I love people like oh. 
oh, the president's just a dictator. Have you seen the power the executive branch has? Yeah. They make their own wars. They prosecute at will. They do or decide or don't decide to listen to the Supreme Court. They make executive actions, so they're making the laws. Like, their actual laws can be overridden by Congress if they choose to enforce that, which they're sort of inclined to so the people don't see the veil come out and uprise against them. And they're they're sort of inclined when they write the laws again to listen to the Supreme Court. But that's all reactionary on the same side. And the president has all the power. He could say, fuck off, I'll just roll in the tanks. Yep. And and he does that subtly to a degree. And that's why all this money goes into police yep. and the military and stuff like that. You know. So. And that's where Donald Trump has been a, a, a good blessing for everyone else is because he is when you give a moron that kind of power he can't keep the quiet part inside. So, like, Bar- <laughs> Barack was very good at keeping the quiet part inside. So even when Barack he's doing... Barack was the greatest of all time. Oh, my God. He was the most... He The most... I mean, he, the, the, the level of... The level of just horrible shit. Because, again, when everyone goes, well, you weren't mad when Obama did it. You're right. That's a problem. He, he talked really good. <laughs> he was super good at keeping me docile. He was really good at it. You're right. We you were more. You shouldn't have elected this moron. I'm sorry that you ripped back the curtain and showed me what's wrong. Elect a lady in the pantsuit and we would be drinking mimosas, fuckers. This is your fault. <laughs> some of us. I mean, some of us. Some of us. I would have been. Yeah, I certainly yeah. wouldn't have gone this far down this damn hole if it wasn't for this damn situation. And now look at me. Yeah, that's true. Shit got weird. This has been Shit Got Weird Corner for you guys this week. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm sure it. we're going to move this to the end. Oh, uh, yeah. No, this will uh, be... But this is, I mentioned this was after Chapter 12. Yes, this is this after is, Chapter 12. So there... Oh, yeah. Oh, this will this will have a place somewhere, but it certainly isn't yeah. at the end of Chapter 12. This is just Nathan had a brain dump that he had to scream about for a while. And and that, that so was... So much for the lack of two-hour recordings. Yeah, you know what? Well, again, my brain needed to vent some things off, and uh, this is the only place I can do it where I don't get screamed at. I, like, you can't yell about this stuff at work because yeah. then they go, oh, yeah. you were supposed to be cashing my check. Please stop doing this. <laughs> yeah, you're in real trouble. I mean, at least I... Yeah, I start it. wanting to overthrow the, the, the bourgeoisie and... Uh, you're and in a bank, man. You I'm in the... Bu- the bourgeoisie are kind of like hanging out with me. It's a weird... It's a weird you're thing. You're an above-ground-level bank worker. You can just fuck this shit up. But, again, you got to look at individual action for organized action. Yep. You know. So. But, yeah, we will get into... Burn it all down. We will, we will get into Lenin. Burn it all down. And it's going to be beautiful. I was hoping to do some some more marks for Lenin. Uh, you know, maybe even go through like uh, uh, Paris Commune with both their perspectives. Mm-hmm. But if there are two things you read, it is something Marx inspiring, maybe price, profit, and value, and labor, uh, wage, and, and capitalism, and, and put them together to make Das Kapital. Maybe you do Das Kapital. Maybe you just do communist manifesto that's got some good content but it's more of a fire up yeah it's more this is the, this com- is the this is the content but you do something marks where you know what he's talking about hopefully more marks and then you do a lot more i hope lenin but and and of course you know i mean stalin i wanted to get into gramsci uh walter yeah. rodney might be a good one for yeah. people to get into pan-africanism uh of course you do the more modern stuff the angela davis things mm-hmm. but um the, the thing, if you have to read one thing, you read something Marx that's influencing this or the, the two collections that make this up or whatever. And then you read State and Revolution by, by Lenin. And so maybe we should do that next just so you can get this feeling off. I think it might be necessary because I think at some point if we don't, I may have a stroke and I don't want to do that. It's good. Okay. We'll say that. I may need to do that. Okay.